0: Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 19 within God's Word. Luke chapter 19 within God's Word. Amen. Luke chapter 19. You, if you didn't bring a Bible, there's one right there in front of you. Learn how to find things in the Bible. Grow in God. We also handed out to you the Scriptures that I'll be turning to this morning But no fill in the blank this morning. It's not that kind of a message. And uh, we change it up every now and then. And so again, we greet you the name of the Lord. What day is it today? It's Palm Sunday. Luke chapter 19. It's the first Palm Sunday. As you turn to Luke 19. Before Jesus has stayed out of the limelight. Before Jesus has shunned publicity. Before, Jesus did not want, did not, did not want to be the center of attention. But when you turn to Luke 19, everything changes. Now Jesus, to fulfill all prophecy, is the star of the Palm Sunday, the first Palm Sunday parade. In Luke chapter 19, He instructs His disciples... To go and get what kind of an animal? Not a horse. Not a white stallion. But to get a donkey. They procure the donkey for Jesus. They sit him upon it. And they begin to take off their coats. And throw their coats on the ground. On the pathway. The roadway. Leading to Jerusalem. As the donkey with Jesus riding upon it. Enters Jerusalem. The city of God. As Jesus travels on this donkey, the crowds begin gathering. People begin applauding. People begin waving palm branches as a sign of praise and worship and adoration unto Jesus. People begin shouting, Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the King! Hosanna to our Lord! What they were saying, if you'll analyze it, is directly from Psalms 118. A messianic psalm. They were ascribing glory and honor and praise and worship. They were hailing Jesus as the Messiah. And the religious leaders didn't like it. They didn't like it one bit. They came to Jesus and they said, Rebuke your followers. Tell your people to shut up. They are, they are worshipping you as the Messiah. And we know you're not. Jesus looked at them and said, If these remain silent, the very rocks and stones of the field will shout out in praise unto me. And he would not. This is the one day that Jesus receives the limelight. It's the one day that Jesus is the center of attention. It's the one day that Jesus is the celebrity, the star of the Palm Sunday parade. Yet how does Jesus respond? Probably the biggest parade that I've ever gone to is the Rose Bowl parade when I lived in Pasadena, California. And... Uh, It was one block away from our apartment. Becky and I went on down, and the star of the parade was Frank Sinatra at that time. And oh, did he revel in the adoration. Jesus, though, instead of reveling in the adoration and the adulation, the Bible says that Jesus begins crying. This is strange. Why is Jesus crying? Why is Jesus weeping? Look with me in verse 42 of Luke 19. Jesus said, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment round about you, surround you and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Read the last line with me out loud. Because you did not know the time of your visitation, they missed their hour of opportunity. Israel at large rejected her only Savior, her only Lord, her only Messiah. Israel missed the time of her visitation. And now judgment is coming. This morning I preach a word to you simply titled, Visit Us. Father, we pray this morning that as we've already sung the songs, as we've already lifted our hands, as we've already worshipped you, yet, Lord, there is still that ache in our heart that we don't want to miss Lord, our time of visitation. Lord, we cry to you this morning. Visit us. Lord, as the pastor of this church, we need a fresh visitation of your Holy Spirit in this hour. Lord, we don't want to miss it. Lord, we need you to visit us. Come, sweet Holy Spirit. Rend the heavens, come on down, and visit us this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. How, how, how could Israel have missed her day of greatest opportunity? How could she have missed this divine visitation? You see, Israel knew exactly, exactly how the Messiah would come. Zechariah look with me 9 9 rejoice greatly daughter Zion shout daughter Jerusalem see your king comes to you righteous and victorious lowly and riding on a donkey on a colt the foal of a donkey 500 years before this first Palm Sunday Israel knew how the Messiah would enter Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. They were not ignorant of this fact. Even more so than that, with more detail and specificity, those that attend my class know where I'm going with this. Daniel chapter 9 verse 24, they not only knew how the Messiah would arrive, they knew when the Messiah would arrive. Daniel 9, 24, 77's are decreed for your people. You mathematicians out there, How much is 70 times 7? 490. 490 years have been decreed for the people of Israel. 490 years. Verse 25. Know and understand this from the issuing of the decree or the order to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Ruler comes. There will be seven sevens. How much is that? How much is 7 times 7? 49. And 62 sevens. How much is that? Well, I added it up for you. 434. 434 plus 49 is 483. 483 years. After the 62 sevens, after that amount of time, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. Most Christians that attend churches have no idea that this prophecy that has such an exacting nature is even in the Bible. In this incredible prophecy to Daniel, God reveals the the precise year and date that the Messiah would show up on the first Palm Sunday at Jerusalem. I want you to be reminded the Hebrew year, the Hebrew year is not 365 days. The Hebrew calendar is 360 days long. When did this time period began? It began with the order to rebuild Jerusalem. We know from world history and from Bible history that the decree to rebuild Jerusalem was March the 14th. 445 B.C., when the Persian king, Artaxerxes, ordered Jerusalem to to be rebuilt. If you don't know your history, many of you know the movie 300. The Persian king, Artaxerxes, he was the one that ordered the rebuilding of Jerusalem. 445 B.C., March the 14th. That's when God's stopwatch began. Now let's convert the time period. Look at the next slide, please. Seven sevens, 49 years. Sixty-two sevens, 434 years. 49 plus 434 is 483 years. When I multiply 483 years times 360 days in a calendar year, I come up with 173,880 days. Next slide. From March the 14th, 445 B.C., that brings us to what date? April the 6th, A.D. 32. The date that most scholars and commentators all agree was the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And the Jews for 500 years before had it in their hands. Well, pastor, maybe they were ignorant of the Bible prophecy. Maybe they they, they did not understand it. Hey, when the wise men at Christmas came looking for the Messiah, he who was born the King of the Jews... They went to Jerusalem. King Herod went to the religious scholars and said, search the scriptures. Where will the Messiah be born? They found it immediately and they said, in Bethlehem. Because of the prophecy of Micah. They knew the prophecies. They understood God's word. It was not a spirit of ignorance in rejecting Jesus. It was a downright spirit of rebellion. And it's no different than what we're dealing with today. Before, before, before we get upset with Israel and Jesus crying and weeping over Israel that had rejected Him and knowing that judgment was coming, just 40 years later, the Romans would destroy Jerusalem. A million Jews were, were, were killed. So many were crucified The historians said that there were not enough spaces to plant crosses for the Jews to be crucified by the Romans. If we don't accept him as Savior, he comes as judge. Be aware of that. And before we judge Israel too harshly, how about America? How about America? Do you recognize that we're the first nation in all human history to, to consciously... Build our nation, our laws, our constitution on the Holy Word of God. The one and only, America. Our founding fathers prayed for God's blessings upon our nation. They stamped, in God we trust, on our currency and our coinage. They declared a national day of worship and gratitude unto the Lord. We call it Thanksgiving They established Harvard University to train pastors, ministers, and missionaries. Every school day in America began with prayer and the Pledge of Allegiance and the singing of God bless America. The Bible was the the, the reading book, the reading primer for every school kid in early America. And God has blessed America with unprecedented prosperity and freedom. Over the last 200 years, God has elevated our country from its infancy to number one superpower status in the world. Our citizens have enjoyed the world's highest standard of living. But in our power and in our strength, we have grown proud. We have grown arrogant and godless. We've come to believe that it's our might, it's our ingenuity, it's our technological ability and prowess that has caused us to be unconquerable, it has caused us to be unstoppable. We are unsinkable! But just like the Titanic, pride comes before a fall. America has chosen pleasure and prosperity, paganism, and even perversion as her new gods. And even though our so-called free society has changed the vocabulary of sin, I want to remind you, God has not changed his vocabulary regarding sin. They call it multiculturalism. God calls it adultery. They call it uh, uh, making love, they call it an extramarital affair. God calls it fornication and adultery. They call it freedom of expression. God calls it profanity, pornography. They call it gay rights, alternative lifestyle. God calls it sodomy, perversion. They call it free choice, a woman's right to choose. I'm sorry, but God calls it abortion. It's murder. Murder. But how about the church in America? America still leads the world in the most number of churches. You can find a church in every city, every town, every village practically on every street corner in America. We, as a nation, have sent out more missionaries around the world than any other nation in all human history. Yet the American church, like our nation, is in desperate need of revival and renewal and restoration in our generation. Do you know that last year... You know that last year, half of America's churches, half of the 386,000 churches in America did not report one new convert. It's no wonder, it's no wonder America is now the third largest unchurched nation in the world. Most of our citizens have never darkened a church door. Most have never read the Bible or know anything about it. Most are unbelievers. How about the assemblies of God? Let's bring the focus even down closer. You might not realize it, but this church is a part of a cooperative fellowship. We don't call ourselves a denomination. We're a part of a cooperative fellowship of churches around the world. How about the American Assemblies of God? For the first time, it's been reported to us ministers that there is not enough pastors to fill our Assembly of God pulpits. 70 to 80% of our church membership across the Assemblies of God in America have never been filled with the Holy Spirit have never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Increasingly within our churches, as well as the churches across America, there's an increasing reliance upon marketing methods, business practices and how to grow a church, an increasing reliance upon methodology and programs instead of the presence of the Lord. And at the same time, spiritual gifts are discouraged within our services. But at the same time, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is never preached about, it's never taught, it's never shared with the people. And church after church after church no longer opens up their altars for people to find Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. There are no longer invitations for salvation at most of our churches today. I recently was told that a board of deacons met with their Assembly of God pastor after the Sunday morning service and said, we want the services to be shorter. We want it cut shorter so we can get home to watch the football games. And we order you to do so. I declare to you this morning, not on my watch. <laughs> Nobody tried. No. No. It's no wonder the church and our nation as a whole is missing our time of visitation. The Lord is wanting to visit our churches. The Lord is wanting to visit our marriages and our families. But we would not. We will not. We're missing our time of visitation. And I submit to you this morning... We don't need another conference. We don't need another seminar. We don't need another program. We don't need another gimmick in the church. We need a fresh visitation of the Spirit of the Lord in the house of the Lord. We need His Spirit to visit us. To visit us. To visit us. I'm convinced that we're living on the edge of eternity. I'm convinced that in this hour, heaven is shouting out, "Uh, I'm coming back. Uh, Jesus is coming back. Uh, Jesus is coming soon. Get ready. Get ready. I'm coming back. This is not an hour. This is not an hour. This is not an hour to be a spiritual ostrich and have your head in the sands. The Scripture calls us To look at the signs of the times. Jesus said, when you see these things begin to come to pass, lift up your head, for your redemption draweth nigh. As we're seeing the Middle East right now, Yemen, Iraq, Syria, Iran, Saudi Arabia... Jordan, all the pieces are coming together rapidly, rapidly, rapidly. We're on the road to Armageddon. ISIS and Israel. I mean, it's all coming together. At the same moment, what is going to happen this week? What will happen this week on April the 4th? Another blood moon. What am I talking about? Do you realize that the year 2014 and the year 2015, these are sabbatical years in the Jewish calendar, the Orthodox Jewish calendar? And in these sabbatical years we're experiencing two, two phenomenal solar eclipses and four lunar eclipses or blood moons. And what is so, so incredible is that these solar eclipses and these lunar eclipses are happening on Jewish holy days, on Jewish festival days, ancient Jewish anniversary days. Two lunar eclipses have already occurred on Passover, April the 15th, 2014, and the Feast of Tabernacles, October the 8th, 2014. Fourteen. The other lunar eclipses will occur this April 4th, this week, on Passover. And the Feast of Tabernacles, September 28th, the last one, 2015. So rare, they will not occur for hundreds upon hundreds of years. Yet this astronomical event, this rare event, did occur at the Spanish Inquisition of the Jews it did occur back in 1492 the Spanish Inquisition of the Jews many think that it was Spain that financed Columbus to find the new world it was two wealthy Jewish businessmen that financed Columbus to find the new world so that the Jews would have a haven a a, a, a resting place from the persecution that was so rampant at the Spanish Inquisition, this tetrod, four blood moons, took place at that time. The next time the four blood moons took place was May 15th, 1948, surrounding 1948, 1949, when Israel became a nation for the first time in almost 2,000 years. The next time the tetrad took place, the four blood moons was surrounding the date of June the 7th, 1967, when Israel, for the first time in 2,500 years, recaptured Jerusalem, the city of God, the city of David. Every time these four blood moons have appeared on Jewish holy days, significant events have taken place with the people of Israel. The Jewish people. 40 times, 40 times significant Bible events took place on Jewish holy days. Jesus was crucified on what Jewish holy day? Passover. Jesus rose from the dead on what Jewish holy day? Feast of first fruits. And the Holy Spirit was poured out on what day? The day of Pentecost, Jewish holy day. God has designed... Precise, significant, pivotal events for his people, Israel, and the world on Jewish holy days. Now, I'm not saying that the four Blood moons say anything when it comes to prophetic fulfillment, but I believe it bears watching. Listen to what the Bible says, Acts 2:19, Acts 2:19. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into what? before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus said in Luke 21 there shall be signs in the sun, moon and stars. On the earth nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and the tossing of the sea. Men will faint from fear apprehensive of what is coming on the world for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and glory when these things begin to take place. Stand up. Lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. We are the generation. We are the generation the prophets were talking about. We are the generation that Israel has returned to her homeland. That Israel has recaptured Jerusalem. We are the generation that prophetic pieces to the prophetic puzzle are coming together. We are the generation seeing the rise of ISIS and Iran and the road to Armageddon. Lift up your heads. He's coming back. And he's coming soon. Lord, visit us. Visit us. Malanatha. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The Bible reveals that the Lord has a desperate desire to visit us. Both the Old and the New Testaments testify of divine visitations. When God came down in the Old Testament, He came down upon Mount Sinai. And the Bible says that as He came down, as His feet stepped down on Mount Sinai, that mountain melted with a fervent heat. And the glory, the Shekinah glory of God was the capstone to that mountain. And only Moses could dare enter up into the presence of the Lord. And when Moses was visited by God, (laughs) when Moses beheld the glory of God, what did Moses say? Show me. Show me your glory. And God showed him his glory. And Moses had the suntan of suntans. You can't get this holy tan in any tanning booth around Shelby Township. Hear me in this. The glory of God that was reflected from the face of Moses because he had been, he had stayed in the presence of the Lord because God had visited Moses. The glory of God shone from his face to such an extent he had to wear a veil over his face because he was scaring the people so much. When God visits you, when you open yourself up to the Lord and say, visit us, He reveals His glory. And you're never the same. Joshua had an experience with the glory of God. Joshua had a divine visitation. It was just before the battle of Jericho. And all of a sudden, as Joshua is planning his strategy and how to attack the city, he saw a man with a sword raised up Joshua as a general shouted out Who are you? Friend or foe? And the man with the drawn sword said I am neither I am the commander in chief of the Lord's army And Joshua said Give me your orders And the Lord said Take off your shoes You're on holy ground And Joshua worshipped him there An angel would not have dared to do that. Who was that? Who is the commander-in-chief of the Lord's army? His name, hallelujah, is the bread of life. Uh, He's the good shepherd. He's Alpha and Omega. He's your savior. He's your great friend. Uh, He's your deliverer. He's the Line of the tribe of Judah. He is Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. This was the pre-incarnate Christ appearing to Joshua as the commander-in-chief of the Lord's army. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 6 in the year... That Israel's popular king Uzziah died. And everyone was mourning. And everyone was grieving. And everyone was so negative. Isaiah entered the presence of the Lord in the temple. And Isaiah says in Isaiah 6. And I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And his presence filled the temple. (laughs) And Isaiah cried out. Woe is me. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And an angel came with holy tongs and plucked a coal of living fire off of the altar of the Lord and touched the lips of Isaiah with the living fire of the Spirit of the Lord. And the Father, the God, Jehovah said, Thou art cleansed, for I have touched your lips with my fire. And then God cries out, Who shall we send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah cried out, Here am I, Lord. Send me. Send me when you have a fresh touch, when you have a fresh encounter with God, you're never the same. He uses you. He does not refuse you. He's not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. He's looking for young men and women. He's looking for seasoned saints to cry out and say, Here am I, Lord. Send me. Send me. But the Lord didn't just visit His people in the Old Testament. When we come to the New Testament, how did God visit this planet? When God chose to visit this planet, He didn't show up in a spaceship. When God chose to visit this planet, He didn't show up in a stretch limo with secret service agents running alongside. He didn't show up in the the palace of, of Caesar. He didn't show up in the temple of Jerusalem. When God decided to show up in the New Testament in the Gospels, He shows up as a baby that's laid in a manger in Bethlehem. Emmanuel, God with us. And as Jesus grows up, Emmanuel, God with us, how does He visit His people? He causes the lame to walk, the blind to see. He cleanses the leper. He speaks a word and the demons scream in terror as they run out of people that are possessed by them. When God visits this planet in Jesus... Jesus speaks a word and dead Lazarus, though dead for four days, rises from the dead. When he visits us, <laughs> he comes walking on the water and he allows us to walk with him too. When he visits us, he rises up in the center of the storm and he shouts out peace. Be still. storm, shut up. And the Bible says it was immediately calm. There's no visitation like when the Lord visits you. But let me tell you something. It's not enough for God to be for us like He was in being for His people Israel. It's not enough for God to be with us as Emmanuel, God with us like Jesus in the Gospels. God not only wants to be for you. God not only wants to visit you by being with you. God wants to visit you by being in you. And that's where we come, (laughs) to the Jewish Holy Day, 50 days after Passover, the Jewish festival known as Pentecost. And my Bible and your Bible says what happened as God visited us on Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. We read in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking with other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them the utterance or the words. Hallelujah. That generation of believers who had a divine visitation of the Spirit of the Lord, they turned their world upside down, or should I say upside right, for Jesus Christ. Do you realize that the Gospel went from the day of Pentecost from Jerusalem? And when you finish the book of Acts, it's already being preached and proclaimed in the household of Caesar. Nero. That's right. So powerful is the Gospel because of the Holy Spirit. Would you agree with me? We need a fresh visitation of His Spirit as never before. Come, come Lord and revive us again. Renew us again. Restore us again. America, you're too young to die. Breathe upon our nation and bring us revival from sea to shining sea. I have little use for a Jesus that can do miracles 2000 years ago but cannot do them today I have little use for a Jesus who can still the storms on the sea of Galilee but can't calm a troubled heart today I have little use for a Jesus who raises the dead of yesteryear but raises none to new life today I have little use for a Jesus who can radically change disciples but he can't change drug abusers he can't change deviants or the desperate today but the good news is this Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever that's good news we preach good news we preach good news he desires to visit us in fact he desires to visit you more than you desire for him to visit for you to visit him in fact he's visiting us right now Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 says, Jesus says to the church, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's visiting. But let's not leave him outside. Jesus says, If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Do you need a holy visitation? Are you hungry for a fresh visitation of His Spirit? If you're not, if you're not, if you're too busy, if you're too used to status quo, if you've become too comfortable and cozy with business as usual, going through the motions, then don't open the door. But if you're thirsty and hungry like your pastor, open the door! Jesus wants to visit you. And when He comes, when He comes... Oh, change takes place. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe there are those here this morning. You've come into this service and you're sick in body. Maybe you've received a a bad, a dire diagnosis from your doctor. I, I want you to cry out to him this morning. Visit us. Visit us. The Lord is more than willing to visit you with divine healing. He paid the price not only for your sins. He paid the price for your sicknesses. And for your healing, by His stripes laid upon your, His back, you are healed. The enemy has no right to lay on you that which has already been laid upon Jesus. At the cross of Calvary, you've been redeemed. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus Christ, which will never lose its power. Receive your healing this morning. Maybe there are those here this morning, your greatest miracle need is not a broken body, uh, not, not a healing for a broken body, but a broken marriage, a broken family, a broken heart. Then cry out to Him. Cry out to the lover of your soul. Jesus, visit us. Visit me. Wrap your sweet arms of love, O lover of my soul. The Bible says that He is near to them of a broken heart. Maybe there are those that are here this morning and you're not sure you're right with God. You're not sure you're right with God. You're not sure that you've been forgiven of your sins. You're not sure that you have a home in heaven. I want to declare to you this morning upon the authority of God's holy word, heaven is real. Hell is real. And eternity is just a heartbeat away. I heard this morning on Fox News that with that German airline that went down, that airplane that went down this past week, horror upon horrors, that they have just revealed the tape recording of the pilot with an axe. Trying to break through the door into the cockpit to take control from the co pilot that was nosediving that plane down. How long, how long, how long were those people screaming? How long were those people crying out? How long did they know that they were, they were going to pass from the here and now and pass into eternity? Twelve minutes. Twelve minutes. Twelve minutes. The only positive thing that I can share about that terrible tragedy is that they had 12 minutes to get right with God. And there are some here this morning, you think everything's all right and dandy. You think you've got plenty of time left. You think that you have all of your tomorrows. Honey, sir, ma'am, there will come a moment in time. All of your tomorrows are used up. I ran out to one this week that the Lord put upon my my heart. And I said, Sir, this business can't take you into heaven. Sir, the rich businessman said to Jesus in in, in Luke chapter 12, uh, I've got plenty of barns to fill up. Uh, I've got plenty of prosperity, wine, women, and song. And God shouted from heaven, Thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. All of his tomorrows were used up. Listen. Today is the day of salvation. Don't put off for tomorrow what needs to be done right now. Ask the Lord to visit you. Ask Him to visit you with grace and with mercy and with loving kindness. Okay, you blew it yesterday. Okay, you looked at something you shouldn't have looked at. Okay, you said something that you shouldn't have said. Okay, you did something that you didn't do. There is grace, amazing grace, for every sin that has ever been committed. There is no sin that is so deep that His grace is not deeper still. Come to Jesus. Open your heart's door and cry out to Him. Visit me. Visit me. Visit me, Lord. His mercies are new every morning. He's the author of second chances, but He doesn't make us second-hand people. He'll make you brand new. He will allow the old things of life to pass away and make all things brand new to anyone who is in Christ Jesus. Visit us. Visit us. Visit us. The Lord desires to visit Lakeside Assembly of God with a fresh outpouring of His Holy Spirit, a fresh new anointing, a fresh new touch, a fresh work of His Holy Spirit. Saints, my dear Lakeside family, we can't live on an old testimony. I rejoice with you that you were born again 43 years ago. I rejoice with you that you were baptized in the Holy Spirit 26 years ago. But what is God doing now? Have you cozied up to business as usual? Have you become become comfortable with just going through the motions? And you're in a religious rut. And God is wanting to do a new thing. He's knocking at your heart's door. Yes, you're born again. Yes, you're on your way to heaven. But there's so much more. You've settled for a stub of religion. And God wants to visit you. He's here this morning. And He wants to visit us. He wants to shake us and move us. Change and rearrange us and fill us with His consuming fire we need him to breathe upon us as never before John chapter 20 John chapter 20 verse 22 Jesus in his first appearance after the resurrection Jesus breathed on them and said to them receive the holy spirit I don't know about you but I I want the lord to breathe on me brand new I went to graduate school out in Pasadena, California. I'd heard about smog, but I'd never experienced it. It was far worse than whatever anyone had ever described to me. You couldn't stay out in it for an hour playing tennis without coughing your lungs out. You never saw the San Gabriel Mountains as long as the the smog was in place. But when the Santa Ana winds would blow in from the desert and blow that dirty, filthy air, over the ocean I'll tell you the crystal clear view of the mountains and to take a gulp of fresh air without coughing your lungs up it was marvelous we used to sing a song in the church if you remember it sing it with me let him breathe on me let him breathe On me, let the breath of God now breathe on me. Let him breathe. That's right. Let him breathe on me. Let the breath of God. Now breathe on me. That's what the Lord is looking for from His people. A fresh desire, a fresh passion for Him to breathe upon Him. For Him to visit us. At Pentecost, when I read about the day of Pentecost, there was not only the sound of a mighty rushing wind, there was also fresh fire fall. We need fresh fire fall here at Lakeside. When God's fire gets loose in your person, I find that pride and rebellion and lust and selfishness, they just can't stand before it. They're burned out. That's why God is calling out a new generation of believers, burned out believers. You see, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I'm convinced that if all the sleeping folks would wake up, if all the lukewarm would fire up, if all the sour pusses here at Lakeside would sweeten up, and all the discouraged would cheer up, and all the distressed would begin looking up, and all the estranged would make up, and all the gossipers would shut up, then there might come a revival. Hallelujah. Amen. Visit us. Lord, visit us. We can't do God's work without God's power. There's power in Pentecost. The story and the experience of Pentecost is a story of power. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in His Word. There's power in the shed blood of the Lamb. And there's Pentecostal power in His Holy Spirit. Come, sweet Holy Spirit. Come and visit us. Yesterday I got those text messages from my son, and I just couldn't stand it any longer. I needed more than a text message. I needed a phone call. And as I talked to my son, who lives so far away, that's why I wish I was Italian. You Italian people, you got this figured out. Nobody dares moving away. And I broke down crying with my son. I said, I've been going through a spell of being homesick for you. Because of finances and because of his ministry, now that he's newly married, we're down to once a year, one week out of a whole year. And we are so anxious. ...for John to visit us. That's the same desire... ...that the Lord is looking for His people. So many of us have been walking with the Lord for so long now... ...we've lost the honeymoon experience. We've lost the passion. And we're content... To settle for the way things are the Lord is raising up a people and hear me in this the Lord has always had a remnant a holy remnant that have not bowed their knee to Baal he is raising up a holy remnant in this generation that is crying out as they're looking at the events around the world, as they're looking at the administration in Washington, as they're looking at the events across our nation, there's hardly a day now that a police officer is not being shot. There's hardly a day that goes by that there's not some school shooting. God is looking for a people that are going to rise up and not put their heads in the sand. They're not going to walk in fear. They're not going to walk ignoring the signs of the time. He's looking for a people that are going to rise up and shout out and cry out, Lord, visit us. We need a fresh visitation of your Holy Spirit. We need it now more than ever. American history tells us, American history tells us that in 1741, The 13 colonies of these United States of America were in desperate, desperate conditions. Moral and spiritual bankruptcy. But then the church, because there's always a holy remnant, began to pray, Lord, visit us. And God raised up Men like Jonathan Edwards who preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. Men like George Whitefield. 20,000, 30,000, 50,000 people at a time running to the altars and getting right with God. It is known in your American history as the first great awakening. 1857. One man, a businessman in New York City, had a desperate cry upon his heart for the Lord to visit the nation once again. And he put up a poster announcing a prayer meeting. One person showed up to join him in that prayer meeting. Next week, five people. Next week, 20 people. 40 people. 100 people. 1857, that's when the stock market collapsed. You think the Great Recession was bad? Read your American history. 1857, economic chaos here in America. And the churches were jammed out as the people of America were crying out, Lord, visit us! Visit us! God visited this nation with unprecedented revival. This is when Charles Finney, as an evangelist, was raised up. There are reports that in the crusades of Charles Finney, that the Shekinah glory, the presence of God, came down so powerful. It was tangible. You could see it for miles. Sailors would be out on ships and fall down on their ships before the presence of God because there was a zone, a literal spiritual zone of revival going on. Hundreds upon thousands, one-fifth of the American population born again, revived. It was known as the Second Great Awakening. 1901, Topeka, Kansas. 1901 Topeka Kansas a group of young adults like our Edify ministry a group of young adults were searching the scriptures they were reading the book of Acts they read Acts chapter 2 They read about the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the 120 in the upper room. They read in Acts 8 how the Holy Spirit was poured out. Acts 9, the Holy Spirit is poured out. Acts 10, the Holy Spirit is poured out. Acts 19, the Holy Spirit is poured out. Acts uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. And they asked this one question. Why not today? Why not now? Why not with us, January the 1st, 1901, Agnes Osman seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the first documented modern-day Pentecostal that we know of, Topeka, Kansas. The revival fires began burning. It then lit Azusa Street in Los Angeles, which became the center of a worldwide Pentecostal revival as an African-American Holy Ghost-filled man of God led that revival in Azusa. We know it as Azusa Street. The Assemblies of God, the fellowship that we're a part of was birthed and born and came together in 1914 because of that outpouring and that revival. Where in 1901 There was one documented Pentecostal believer. Today, there are more than 600 million Holy Spirit-filled Pentecostal believers around the world. Hallelujah. And I don't know about you, but there's a cry in my heart. Lord, do it again. Do it again. Lord, visit us. Visit us this morning. Would you stand with me right now? Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask, oh Lord, rend the heavens. Even now, God. (laughs) Lord, you see the need. You see the cry. You see the passion of the heart. uh, You see the empty soul. You see the barrenness. You see the sterility of the American church. You see our backslidden nation. And so, Lord, we pray, come. Come, Lord, and visit us. We don't want to miss our time of visitation, God. I don't always do this, but I'm going to do it this morning. I'm going to play a song that I've come across. I'm going to play it out from the speakers, the sound booth this morning. And as I do, as you hear the piano being played, would you join me down here at this altar? Would you fill up? Would you fill up the aisleways? Would you fill up this altar? Would you fill up the stairways? Would you come? I don't command you. I invite you. Would you come and join me? Who will join me and pray? Come, visit us. Praise the Lord. Who will join me? Come right now. Come right now. Come right now.